Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the 15 Rugby podcast. It's been a while since we were last on. I'm Angus Savage, editor at 15 Rugby. Uh, it's going to be a really exciting episode today. We've got England under-18 coach Russell Earnshaw coming in to talk to us. Fascinating guy right at the forefront of some of the new techniques that are being introduced across the country in school schools rugby coaching. Um, particularly focused on learning and development and developing skill set in players essentially producing the sort of rugby that really gets everyone excited and out of their seats. So really looking forward to talking to him. Before we get into that, though, I'm just going to have a quick look at what's been going on this season, seeing as we're approaching the end of half term. Uh, Champions Trophy has been at the real forefront. All the champions of previous years have been knocked out. So we're going to have a new champion. It's pretty exciting stuff. There's been some great performances all around. Really impressed by guys like St. John's Leatherheads, uh, grammar school Lee's picking up a real headline win Kingswood as well doing really good stuff so I think we're looking at some really exciting rugby coming up over in the schools cup things are looking good we're now moving towards the regional semi-finals and finals uh, obviously at the end of that process you've got eight regional winners who then go into a pot for the quarterfinal draw similar process in the vase plate and bowl and just to clear up, a few people have been asking us, that is the same competition that last year was the NatWest. Um, the sponsors are, have gone, so it's now just the Schools Cup, Schools Bowl, Schools Vars, Schools Plate, uh, and and any other any other thing that you can think of to put schools in front of. Um, that's looking brilliant, really exciting competition this year. We're looking at Warwick potentially as one of the favourites. But there's loads of other exciting teams too. I think the North groups are looking really strong. Guys like St. Peter's, York, other teams in the Midlands as well. Southwest, and then you've got that London group that's got the likes of Whitgift in it. We've got some really, really tough groups in the in the Schools Cup that I think are going to produce some pretty exciting rugby as that really moves into the uh, the toughest part of the, the year. Obviously as well, we're just coming off the back of the St. Joseph's Festival at the start of half term. What brilliant competition that was. Uh, Brighton College getting redemption after that tough defeat in the final last year against Cranley where they lost it despite drawing because they didn't score first. They came back, played some unbelievable rugby, absolutely unbelievable rugby, uh, beating Millfield in the final with with a stunning performance um, and also collecting the try of the tournament and player of the tournament awards, uh, making it two player of the tournament awards in a row. And when you consider that recent guys that got that, like Marcus Smith, who was also at Brighton, uh, Zach Mercer, who was at Merkiston, have gone on and are now part of the England setup. Um, you know, you really see what an achievement that is, uh, and what an, what a brilliant achievement it is, both for the individuals and the, and the school as a whole. Um, it's really, really, really awesome. Doubly so this year, we had so much exciting rugby. It was all offloads and running from deep. Really, really brilliant stuff. The sort of stuff that uh, I'm sure Russell is going to really enjoy when we speak to him. So, without any further ado, we better crack on and. Uh, Talk to Russell Earnshaw, England under-18 coach. Right, we're here today with uh, Russell Earnshaw, the England under-18s coach. Uh, hi, Russell. Hey, mate. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Sweet. I'm enjoying your uh, profile picture of that time when you won the World Cup. Well, you know, you uh, first got to win it. That. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to recently? Uh, I've just got back from Austria, so I got back yesterday. Uh, uh, my wife will happily tell you I've been away from home for 10 days. So uh, we had an 18s camp, and then um, Jim Crick's a guy who um, I did some stuff with on his level two a few years ago, and he's just uh, he went out and got a job in Brazil, 
uh, for a year, and then he's um, uh, just gone over and uh, got a job coaching in Austria, and he's just become the head coach of uh, the Austrian national team. So I just had four days in Vienna and Innsbruck, um, hanging out with Jim and helping support him. And yeah, we did a, a coach ed thing over there as well. So yeah, no, been uh, been pretty busy if I'm honest. That's very cool, actually. I actually play a bit of rugby with a couple of lads that play in the second row for the Austrian national side. So. Oh, wow. No, that's cool. Yeah, they've got a couple of guys that play over in England and, and travel over. Yeah, trying to organise a tour to play them. It'd be quite good fun, I think. I can recommend Innsbruck. <laughs> we'll definitely get it on the list then. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about um, cards, the, the sort of system of, of coaching, I think, that's be, been adopted and basically get from you what cards is. Yeah, it's uh, look, it's something that we we include in our coaching. We do other stuff as well, clearly. Um, but we looked a few years ago, a group of people looked at um, some of the evidence around and some of the stories around some of the world's best players and looked at some of the skills that were required um, to, to succeed at the top level. So um, creativity, awareness, resilience, decision-making, self-organisation, uh, clearly, there's other skills. Um, clearly, we, you know, we're not just cards. It's it's part of what we coach. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's the origins of it. It's um, it's probably had a bit more traction, and, and we've probably been a bit more explicit with it in the last year or so. Um, and then kind of trying to help support coaches and how they might interpret it in their own environments, or you know, what their version of it might be. So we have lots of. Um, examples of schools that that would have adopted it. We have examples of schools that have actually gone, well, yeah, that's interesting. Um, we think there's, these are the skills that we would like people to leave our school with. Um, and so this is, you know, some of the how skills for coaching them. So, yeah, I, I guess it's it's changed a little bit. On Generally, lots of coaches would be thinking technical, tactical, uh, those kind of things. Uh, yeah, this is, I guess, just a little bit kind of higher order, I would say. Well, I get the impression that it's essentially about player empowerment, trying to make them make the decisions, have a have a go at trying things out, uh, and and pushing pushing the boundaries themselves as opposed to from the sidelines. Yeah, I think. Um, well, look, the reality is we want really skillful, really adaptable players who can who can make decisions and solve problems. So, it's provided us with a real strong framework to help achieve that. Um, yeah, and that's our that's our ultimate goal. Uh, and and to be honest, if <clears throat> and I say this a lot, I really like um, when Don was Don Barrel was at Saracens. He used to talk about we're judged by the kids that that don't make it. So the reality is, whatever our version of don't making it is. Now it might be that we're judged by the kids that don't make it into the first team. Then I want to feel comfortable that we can uh, we've helped support those kids in either developing or bringing out from within themselves uh, the skills, uh, those card skills. Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually a topic I wanted to get onto uh, in a bit, kind of discussing what happens with players who, who might not make it, because obviously there's, they may have different aims in the long term, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a second. Well, yeah, and, and look, make it's probably not a great phrase to use, because often, you know, Ideally, you know, look, our, our job is to help create world-class players. Clearly, not everyone's going to become a world-class player. However, we would want everyone to have a, a great experience, some amazing memories, and be the best player or person they could be. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking lots of people have made it, but they haven't necessarily played in the Premiership or 
or played in, in an international jersey or gone on and, and got lots and lots of caps for England. Yeah, I guess the phrase is completed the pathway almost rather than rather than made it. Um, so what sort of, obviously some schools are embracing it more than others, uh, some some might be taking it on board so much yet. What schools would you say are sort of really good examples of guys that have, have really embraced it and, and actually it's shown on field to be quite a successful way of looking at things? Yeah, I mean, look, we have lots of, uh, and interestingly, I'm always excited when it's uh, ex-players uh, who are, who re- this really resonates with. So someone like Peter Short at Camford's doing some really good stuff. Um, Scott Hobson at Bryanston doing some good stuff in their environment with it. Um, John Mallett, uh, who um, who's at Millfield. Um, Nick Boy at Brighton. So uh, if you're on Magic Academy, you'll have seen the the video of uh, of the Nick's changing room prior to the um, uh, Saint Joseph's final, which is possibly uh, is possibly cards in action. Uh, I think it's also incredibly brave for a coach to do that. So yeah, lots of lots of good examples. We had um, Brett Richmond the other day at Bedford Modern, and we had like a magic meet there, and he arranged for there's about forty or fifty coaches there. There was lots of people kind of chewing the fat. We did a session. We got some speakers in to kind of you know talk and debate stuff. Um, so yeah, I just think there's lots of, of really good examples. I mean, ultimately, if you are um, if you are a school, to be honest, you have your own version of cards on probably on the front page of your website, and you might call it your aims or your values or your purpose or your mission statement. Then then that's cool, and that's you know I'm, as I'm excited if schools are are doing that and they're they're, they're helping their kids be the best they can be. Well, yeah, I guess as as long as everyone's trying to move in that direction in in whatever way they they kind of already have in place as long as they're all roughly taking the same direction. I suppose one area that um, might be quite challenging is with with parents of guys where they're perhaps not looking at things from the same perspective. They might, uh, let's say their son's a second or third team player, so they're they're really not, they're not thinking about what's the long term with rugby. They're just thinking, I want to, you know, I want to get the most out of it during these five years that might be the only five years I play the game. Is it difficult to get them to buy into that? This is all about development process, or is it is it a bit more of a challenge? Do you think? I actually think it's easier with the with those types of players. I mean, the reality is, if you ask most parents, and all, you know, parents have really good intentions for their kids. Um, what would you prefer? You know, would what do you want people to say about your your son or your daughter when they're thirty years old? Then they would talk about things like they're resilient, or they're really kind, or they're really you know, good at problem solving or they've, you know, they discovered something that changed the world. I think they'd be less inclined to think about, you know, they won an under 12 fixture in, uh, in 2017. So I often think it's easier there. I think it's, um, I challenged um, to a golf pro, uh, golf coach yesterday actually about this because yeah, which the parents things is a big thing. They have really good intentions. Um, they're um, often when, uh, things don't go in the direction they imagined they were going to go with their kids. So, you know, they start to lose a game or their, their son or daughter isn't playing very well, then they would want to try and help that process and get them back on track. So I, I get that um, that we we just need to engage better with parents. We need to help support them better. Um, yeah, and that's something we're, we're trying to do more of. Yeah, I mean, I guess... 
it's, it's probably in a funny way it's it's one of the more difficult hurdles purely because the people you have the least contact time with are parents You've got loads of contact time with other coaches loads of contact time with players themselves parents are plenty of contact time still but the least of all that you get the chance to have have a look with um, yeah and that, they have the most amount of contact time with the kids i mean look there's there's definitely um some good stuff going on so i often go down to dpp sessions in clubs bristol would be a good example and gary townsend coaching and the the kid the kids are playing games on the pitch and the parents are around as well and gary's just interacting with the parents and they're writing notes and they're kind of starting to understand what it feels like what it's like to be a kid taking part in those sessions and yeah i i think we're it's getting better we had richard shorter in our camp the other week and parents uh playing jenga and you know it's kind of trying to uh, make make them understand the experiences their kids are going through. So we're, we're, we're definitely getting there. It's something that, uh, you know, we could clearly do better, but it's something we're, we're, we're putting a lot of attention to. No, it's, it's cool stuff. Uh, on a sort of more personal level, what would you say your overall coaching philosophies are? Oh, wow, big question. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, look, I, I just want to help people be the best they can be. That's as simple as it is. That's... Uh, and the reality is, you know, for the better players, they're definitely going to be better players than me. So I need to think about how can I help support those guys? So, you know, some of the guys like a Marcus who's come through our system would be, you know, and, and clearly significant impact from Brighton and Harlequins. Um, so if, if Marcus is going to go and be a world-class fly half, then I wasn't. So I need to think about how I can help it. Um, at the same time, I want everyone to, to have a, a, an experience that helps them get better. So we would talk a lot about having a really good learning environment. We would definitely challenge ourselves as coaches to spend time with the kids that are, are often harder to coach because that's often the, the more exciting story. That's the, you know, the stuff that makes you feel a bit better about yourself when you've, you've made huge change. Um, yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, I, I want to create players that can go and be really skillful and adaptable, can think for themselves. I, I remember, um, uh, well, I forgot, Peter Moore's the cricket coach, talking about lots of coaches creating sat-nav players, you know, so we have camps in Leeds. Um, without my sat-nav, I would have no idea how to get to the camp in Leeds because I'm just reliant on my sat-nav, and so I certainly don't want to create players that are reliant upon me as a coach. That makes a lot of sense. Um you mentioned Marcus, and I get, we can't go through a, a kind of interview like this with, without <laughs> getting into him. He's the talk of the town these days. Um, you were obviously his mentor. Um, he was at Brighton College, and they, they've had great success recently. What um, Did you anticipate him having this amount of success this fast? Um, oh, look, Marcus has done well. He's one of lots of players that, have, uh, that are doing really well. So... Um, I know he'll get labelled as a bit of a poster boy. However, the reality is there's there's lots of those guys doing really well, and they probably have some common characteristics. One of them, you know, is that they're really good at learning. And so, you know, Tom Curry, Ben Curry, Nick Nazicki, those type of guys as well, Jack Maunder are just really good at learning. They've got really good people and coaches around them, so really supportive, so... You know, guys like Michael Owen, who's had a significant impact on, on Nick Gazicki, the coaches at Saracens and, and Exeter and Sale, who've all 
you know, inputted and have, yeah, helped those guys. And, and those guys are, are constantly wanting to get better. Um, super competitive, so all of them are, are really competitive guys as well. Um, I, I, am I surprised? I'm, I'm just excited that young kids are, uh, are being entrusted by, by coaches. So I think Eddie's doing a good job with that. Many of the clubs are as well. They're happy to put those guys in and, and look after them and manage their, their load appropriately. No, it's amazing to see. I mean, the this last 18 months, two years of just seeing the sheer amount of young guys coming through has been has been awesome. You, you don't see that that often in rugby, certainly not over the last sort of 10, 15 years. Um, kind of thinking about that, though, what's really nice about, about these guys and it comes through this age group uh, sort of coaching structure is this sense of player empowerment, the decision-making, the, the ability to try things <coughs> and not really fear them going wrong. We're seeing that a lot at the school level. I was at a game watching Haleybury the other week. We've got a second row, chucking one through his legs. At the St. Joseph's Festival, Brighton College particularly, were an example of it. But lots of teams were. I saw more offloads than I've seen in any school setting over the course of that weekend. It was unbelievable. Whether they were successful or not, it didn't really matter. People were just going for it. What I'm kind of wondering, though, is where does that sit with selection development etc because if things keep being tried but don't necessarily work at some point presumably a player has to be deemed not good enough how does that quite work yeah and and, and the re reality is it's just decision making so <clears throat> we've we've got a lot of um clubs schools coaches who are allowing their players to see what's possible and at some stage you know if there's themes so if you know the the second rower you mentioned is is, is passes through the legs aren't working you know aren't being effective then you know you, you might have a conversation about it you you might help support him to look at decision making <clears throat> around that um but yeah i mean i i, I just get really excited by that uh, and, and, and look, we've got lots of good coaches that are then helping these players understand that actually in that moment, maybe there was a better decision to make. Um, we're not, you know, looking at, we're, we're always fairly explicit around, we're really interested in people's best bits. So if people are making the odd mistake and, you know, we would talk about that as an opportunity to learn, then I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not that emotional about it. Um, if they're doing five, you know, super bits, then we can see what they're capable of and we can help them get better. Um, we're always looking to the future. We're not necessarily picking people who are the best performers at the moment. It's about it's about potential. So if you look at some of the um, stories of guys that are now doing really well, uh, many of them have played for England and, and what they were like at 14, 15, 13 you would you would struggle there to believe that they would have achieved what they're going to achieve. However, they were surrounded by coaches who had the the foresight to see well actually this is this is where they can get to. Um, I mean the reality with us anyway is lots of people get lots of opportunities to play. So we would you know we would tend to um, give people opportunities. We have two squads. We have a September and a January squad which opens it out to more players and 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 ultimately we tend to pick our best team or our best team available at that moment to play South Africa in the last last game of the tour. Other than that, we're, we see it as a, 
a real learning opportunity for for the kids to to play for England against you know lots of uh, lots of other really good teams and and it's just part of their development. Yeah, it's, it's it's really good stuff and and as I say, it's producing some unbelievably exciting rugby to watch, which is uh, half the battle, I suppose. Um, one thing that kind of it's it can be seen as as in opposition to it, but actually, I suspect it's really just all part of the same thing. Is if we're focusing on development and learning, and I think everyone would agree that that's the right way to go. Um, ultimately, you want the best adult players, not to have really good 18-year-olds who can't get better. Perhaps where the issue for some people who maybe haven't got to grips with everything yet is where does winning and losing come in on that? Because obviously, while everyone around those playing is interested in development, presumably the guys on the field, and to an extent their coaches and parents, want to win and will be focused, really fo- really focused on getting that win. How does How does that sort of sit where's the where's the sort of line that needs to be crossed uh i don't think there is a line <clears throat> i don't think it's either or i think it's probably an un- un- unhelpful polarization um i there are significant consequences to winning and losing games in international rugby um so clearly we need to prepare players for that um i have no doubt that our players and lots of people around the sport are super competitive as I said earlier, our best players are really, really, really competitive. Um, so we're never going to stop that. <clears throat> Where I think it becomes unhelpful is, yeah, just that at some of the adult behaviours around selection. So, you know, people don't get the opportunity to develop if they're sat on benches. People don't um, have the ability to, to, to see what's possible if they just play one position from a very young age or certainly one sport from a very young age. So, look, it's just it's just some of the behaviours around it. I'm not anti-winning um, and losing. I mean, I, I, a classic schoolboy thing would be, you know, I think it was a, <clears throat> a South African game and it was like 221-0. Well, the reality is, you know, no one, no one gains from that experience. You've probably got a team that possibly don't want to play the sport anymore and you've got a team that haven't been challenged enough. Um, and what I observe on a often on a Sunday morning is is simply two or three players that dominate games who happen to be a bit more physically mature than the other kids. And so, you know, if a team wins 50, 60 nil due to three or four players, then then no one's benefited. So the team that lose by 60 points probably don't have a good experience. They're probably feeling a little bit helpless. Um, the three or four players who are really good, don't have appropriate challenge. And the players that are playing alongside them are becoming reliant upon those players often. So, you know, switch those three players over to the opposition, put three opposition players over. Let's have a really even game. The the better players get challenged. The, the, The team that lost by 60 points, their players will be better supported. And perhaps some of the guys that don't currently have the opportunity to lead in the better team have the opportunity to lead. So I just think that that's a... That's just a win-win as far as I'm concerned. I get that some people might not see it that way. Um, however, I'm, uh, I, I just think it's that. I mean, it's just, you know, I was in Austria and I watched the game and they're trying to grow the sport over there. And it was it was about 15 tries to one to, an under, to one under-14 team against another. Well, 
he won't grow the game. No, I think I think there's certainly the the impression I get is that at at, at school level certainly uh, and probably wider than that people people aren't interested in in fifty nil wins and fifty nil defeats. It's not. I think we've got to a stage now where the generally accepted belief is that that's pointless. Um, I suppose where it where it's where it becomes more challenging, but I think you've answered it there is is when you've got closer games but maybe you are still relying on a on a slightly better player here or there but in a sense that's inevitable sometimes but it's about, yeah, it it's is about competitiveness within your development rather than necessarily what the result is it's about the competitive drive yeah of course it is and and you know there's ways of engaging that better player so you know he can be playing a game within a game so he could be playing a game where if he gets, you know, so the big kid who often runs with the ball in one hand, if he can get, you know, 10 assists, then I'm taking, you know, he's, he's going out for Nando's afterwards or whatever it might be. Um, so I would I would be setting individual challenges to players within games to help support and challenge them to get better. So, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with all of that. Um, sort of stepping it up a level then into sort of moving from school into that sort of age-grade international environment. Certainly there, obviously, it's all about trying to develop people along the pathway to create future internationals. That's the kind of headline goal, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but obviously, not everyone is going to make that. Not everyone's even going to make turning professional, although we're actually seeing over the last few years more and more people making that jump, I think. How does it sit, though, in that there, actually, development really, really is the most important thing? because you're now dealing with guys who are rugby specimens almost. Um, probably not a very good turn of phrase there. Um, <laughs> but obviously there are other guys who probably in a, in a little corner of their mind feel like that's as far as their rugby career is going to go. So to them, wearing that England under-18 shirt, having a really important result with England under 18 is the biggest moment possibly of their sporting career ever. Whereas for other guys in the team, there's probably an awareness that actually this is just a stepping stone. How, how do you kind of deal with that? Or do you feel that doesn't really exist? Yeah, I'm not sure it exists. I think the, the, the lads would want to, clearly they would want to win games. Um, I'm not, I'm not denying that. Um, however, interestingly, and I talk about this a lot when we played against, Scotland in a training game, we just played some games within games. So there was, um, if uh, if the opposition made more than three passes, more than two passes, we, the team that was on lost five points. They got an intercept, they got two points. We, If we got an intercept, we got two points. If we forced a knock-on, we got one point. If we charged a kick-down, we got um, various points. And we just played games within games. And the, and the guys were competitive about that. I couldn't tell you the score in the game, but... Uh, when uh, when we scored off an, an intercept, one of the uh, one of the lads kind of nudged another one and said, "Ah, oh, we get points for that." And I just thought, of course they're competitive. We can just channel them in a slightly different direction and and, and allow them to play the game and to, yeah, and, and to also develop other aspects of their game. Actually, it's it's really interesting the interception thing. I've I've seen you and and lots of other coaches talk about interceptions um, and saying they're they're really important. Obviously, you score quite often if you get one. Um, but what is it <laughs> yeah, about interceptions? Is, are, you, are you now sort of coaching them? 
Yeah, look, I would. Um, it's it, it's a really interesting um, um, way of just looking at cards, I guess. So, how would we coach interceptions? Well, we would incentivize them. So we would go, well, look, it's ten points if you score an interception, and then actually we'd allow the players to fill in the blanks. So we'd allow them to be creative. So. And sometimes it'll go wrong. Now, what often happens in that case is a coach will go, well, just don't do it. Stay in the line, you know, stay connected type of stuff. Um, however, I just think there's so many opportunities to intercept. Uh, so I just posted on Magic Academy, Charlie Powell, who's at uh, Bristol. Now, Charlie would have previously been really passive in defence, really good defender, pushing people outside, you know, making a chop tackle, would often give up yards. And so... My instinct was that he was missing opportunities to to sometimes make different decisions in defence. So I just said, look, you know, here's a challenge. See how many tries he can score off intercepts, and and he's and he's not always getting it right, but he's he's scored uh, three tries off intercepts in the last three weeks. And what he also says is he's actually forced a lot of knock-ons, a lot of passes into touch, uh, and yeah, it's um, and and it's just made him aware that actually he. He could have defended differently to how he currently defends. Uh, I chatted to Tim Visser Quinns about it and said, because Tim's a pretty good at intercepting, um, and, you know, w w what are your thoughts? And he said, well, one of the big things as well is whenever I score an intercept and turn around, the opposition just looked broken. And so actually it's quite a, uh, an important psychological uh, advantage. It's the classic kind of 14-pointer. So when you see a winger intercept and, and go the length, you you know, the team that thought they were about to score are often fairly heartbroken. Yeah, there's there's no more of a momentum swinger than a than an intercept try, that's for sure. Because you... yeah, we spend a lot of time practicing um, tackle stuff, and quite rightly so, because clearly safety is a big issue. We would certainly, I would see some players practicing, you know, ripping the ball off a person in one hand. Uh, I would see people practicing charging kicks down. However, I just wouldn't see people getting good at intercepts. Um, and we got lots of, I uh, just chatting to Luke, the analyst, who was going through all our training from last week, and he just said, wow, you know, amazing how many kids got intercepts. Um, yeah, I, I, at the moment, I think um, often attack's very predictable. So we're, we're going through a phase at the moment, in certainly in attacking rugby, where there's lots of um, fairly lateral passing going on. People are being told you have to stay square and... You know, we're filling the field in attacks with two four two or one three three one, and I think it just affords defenders opportunities if they if they've got really good awareness to uh, to intercept the ball. Yeah, I saw I saw another sort of interesting point you made. I think it was, I think it was on Twitter, um, kind of thinking about uh, attacking shape and things, where someone had said something along the lines of um, that old kind of outdated phrase of you've got to you've got to earn the right to go wide and you were saying why why not go wide early so kind of explain <clears throat> what your thoughts are on that are you do you want to see teams that you're involved with just going for it attacking kind of regardless? yeah i mean we would coach the principles of play so we would talk about what's the best place or the best way to go forward and that might be that there's space out wide and we need to fix some defenders and, and play wide. That might be that the defence is really spread out and we want to play through the middle of them. It might be that there's space in the backfield so we can kick to score or we can kick so they kick back and we and, and we get a, a more unstructured opportunity. Um, 
Yeah, I th- the the principles of play give me real clarity and 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 also give the players real freedom in how they how they do that. So it might be that we've got a guy with a really low number standing at first receiver who cross kicks because that's just the best way to go forward. Um, yeah, and, and I also get that the higher up you go, you might want to organise your support a little bit more just to give people a bit more certainty. Um, I would be mindful that um, I, I wouldn't want my attack to be necessarily that predictable. So if you're constantly organising your support in a certain way, it can become predictable. Um, however, you know, Exeter and, and, and Saracens do, do a really good job of you know, organising their support and, and and being effective with it. They got, you know, I, I think what I see with those two teams is a, two teams that really understand the strengths of their players. So, you know, a, a Don Armand would be a classic for me at Exeter. You know, he, the way Exeter play, the way, I, you know, either they recruited him to, to suit the way they played or they built the way they played around him. He's really, really effective player. And he, yeah. No, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting, and I think um, you see you see it at all levels of the game now. People are a bit more excited about um, having a go from anywhere, having having a look at where the space is and playing into it. Uh, it's it's almost people have seen how the All Blacks over the last sort of six seven years have been playing of of really <coughs> believing that there's no reason why running out of your own twenty two if the space is there shouldn't be done. Um, it's often the best place. Years back, people would just kick it away. You yeah, it's often, often the best place. Yeah, I mean, they, they, there's lots of space in the backfield. They're going to have to cover it, so <clears throat> it's less likely to be people in the front field. And I, I, my my observation is that defenders tend to be more agitated and more excited near their own line. So actually, when you're eight yards from your own line, you're probably not as uh, excited, and you've probably got fewer people in the front line. So. I see a lot of pictures, uh, attacking pictures, that in, in when you're in your own half that you would die for in the opposition's half. However, because you know there's a element of strategy around we kick in these areas or this is what we do in these areas. I think I think people often miss opportunities to to play at space to go forward. It's really, it's really interesting stuff. I think. Um... I'm excited okay. by the bar bars. So, you yeah, know, they cool. that's what, you know, those kind of penalty moves and the cross kicks and the little chips. And I, I just feel like, yeah, I, and I love how excited the players look when they play for the bar bars. Yeah, well, I mean, it's that's the kind of rugby that everyone dreams of playing. And the more we can encourage that to actually be the sort of rugby that people do play, it's surely for the better. Yeah, what did St. Joseph's Festival look like? Did it look like that? <laughs> Oh yeah, it was. As I said before, it was it was the most um, offload heavy, the most attacking St Joseph's Festival I've I've seen, and I've done four or five of them. Yeah. Um, teams were teams were happy to have a go, and in a funny way, the format of that tournament uh, encourages it even more because a try is sort of worth more because there's only twelve minute halves. So you, if you score a try, it's it puts the other team in. Twice as much bother as it ordinary, ordinarily would do. Um, yeah, so I, I think well, you know, as we see attack gets, attacks get better, which clearly they are at the moment. Um, I think defenses are now having to adjust as well. So the old style system defense, where 
you know, guard doesn't stay and, and this guy does this and this guy does this is is possibly being challenged. Um, and so the team that are number one in the world would be fairly adaptable in their defence. Um, lots of decision-making, lots of people, you know, as um, was it Milner Scudder got the intercept the other day, people who would often in, in, in language over here be talked about stepping out of system or, or, or system error or whatever it might be are actually given the the freedom to make decisions. So I do think we'll start to see um, more creativity in, in defence in the next kind of couple of years. Well, I hope we will. That's interesting stuff. So what do you, kind of looking back at the schoolboy angle, how do you see rugby at that level sort of starting to look like over the next two years, five years, kind of ten years way out in the long term as all of these adaptions happen? Sorry, I lost you there. What was that? No worries. Um, from a schoolboy point of view, we're seeing all these developments uh, and a new way of playing. People are looking to be more expansive. How do you see school rugby developing over the next kind of two years, five years, kind of into the long term? No, yeah, I, I think we're on a, a pretty exciting trajectory. And, and as you say, and you know, as you witnessed at St Joseph's, there's some. There's some exciting stuff going on. Um, the stuff that, that that I'm observing is also that guys with low numbers, especially numbers one to five, are becoming more and more skillful. So in our camp last week, there's a really interesting moment where we'd done a kind of a joint session in the morning and then um, we came out for the session in the afternoon and it was a split session. And some of the coaches, the backs came out first and the forwards were in the gym. And some of the coaches said, oh, where are those guys? Where are those other guys that are in the backs? And I was like, who are you talking about? And they said, well, this kid and this kid. And I was like, they play in the front row. <laughs> and so that was like, the coaches were like, sorry, what? And uh, they were like, I just thought they were really big backs. So, uh, okay. um, so yeah, I, I, look, I, I just think it's going to continue like this I, I really hope it does I mean I'm, I'm seeing lots of players enjoying their rugby um, we have lots of kids that come into our camps who and this just kind of feels normal for them now this way of coaching this this way of seeing and playing the game um, and as I said the guys with the with the really low numbers are my god they're skillful that's awesome to see I, I kind of wish that I'd been playing in that environment when I was that age because it just, just sounds so fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and look, and the, and the other thing is, they, you know, they're clearly there. Those guys also, their bread and butter around scrimmaging and line outs and throwing in is is also getting better as well. So you can see, you know, Nick Aziki's doing really well in that area as well as being, you know, super skillful as well. Well, I guess that's the thing. If you you see these guys moving into the senior England squad, and it's like you can't be there without having brilliant fundamental basics of your position it's just what they're adding on top of that yeah of course it is and 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 the reality is you know there's just really good coaching going on in in lots and lots of environments so you know as i said michael owen and the saracens guys and you know so nick's nick's just in brilliant environments to get better and he wants to get better kind of looking back at the england under 18 camp um what are the sort of key staging posts for this year? What, what fixtures have we got coming up? Where, what sort of camps have they got? Is there any exciting stuff going on? Yeah, we've got a couple of camps in November, a couple of one-dayers and a couple of one-dayers in, in December. And then 
we get into some fixtures after after Christmas. You should never ask me what's going on. I rarely know what I'm doing next week. <laughs> um, yeah, we we obviously play. You know, we would want to go play some tough games. We want to play Wales in Wales. We want to go play France in France. We want to yeah give them give those players appropriate challenges. The lads will obviously play on their academy stuff as well, uh, and then into into the summer we'll we'll tour South Africa again, which is which is a brilliant experience for the guys and a, and and a really strong challenge for them at this kind of stage of their of their development. Um, so yeah, that's it really. We obviously do a lot of alongside that. We do a lot of coach development. So we had a day in one of the days in Leeds. We had coaches in every day, but one day you know we got 50 coaches in on the pitch, kind of sharing, learning, giving us some insight into the players, and the ones that they've coached, and so I, I just feel like. We've got some really exciting collaborative stuff going on at the moment across schools, clubs and, and country. So uh, that can only be better for the lads. I'm sure a lot of people would like to know which players uh, we, we should be keeping an eye on from that group. That's pro- probably not a fair one. But perhaps instead you could tell us a bit about guys from last year's group, perhaps the year before, who haven't quite made the breakthrough yet, but you you see as being on the horizon really exciting players yeah I probably won't pick out any individuals I mean I, I, I just um, possibly another observation is I, I do think the clubs are doing some some really good stuff around these players and their programs and so lots of these guys will be playing in the championship or, or a league or guys at the moment I was just speaking to uh, Patrick O'Grady at London Irish and they had some of their lads in so some of their under 18s training with the first team so Finn Roster who's at Wellington College in training with the first team and just said, you know, the impact this has had on him has, has been significant. Uh, I know that um, Northampton have got some of their senior academy lads going down and training with England uh, this week or next week, next week. Um, so just lots of, you know, they, these kids are just having opportunities that we could have only dreamt of. Um, amazing. And then there's, there's some cool stuff around guys that then, you know, end up going and playing sevens. So I think the the stuff Simon and Warren Abrahams are doing with the sevens and the sevens academy, and there's been some some brilliant stuff. And to finish second in a World Series and get a silver medal, and lots of those guys were you know came through the school system. Some of them played age grade, some of them didn't. Some of them came through university. So you know, a, a Tom Mitchell or a, uh, or a or a Dan Bibby. You know, there's there's lots of different journeys that people go on to, to as you know to whatever make it means to them um you know dan norton would be a really good example as well so in an academy didn't you know for whatever reason and and now he's a, a been and has been a world-class sevens player for for a really long period of time it's awesome sort of thinking about guys in academy level school level getting to getting to experience that as under 18s i suppose that it's a bit of a headline issue at the moment um but obviously, there's a there's a physical gap there, which sort of strikes me as a potential issue. Um, how how does that sort of work? Presumably, guys are not going to be doing heavy contact with the first team guys because they're, they're six stone lighter. Yeah. So I mean, and look, they weren't taking part in a contact session. So um, yeah, that's a, that is the reality of the modern game. So um, these players need to be physically capable of 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 playing and often when you speak to them, it's the it's the training as well. So it's it's being able to play 
30 games a season for an 89 year old lad week in week out and, and, and train all the time is is a challenge so people will be looked after they won't do all the training they'll be uh, their training will be changed slightly perhaps you could still be in a contact session but someone could be clearly wearing a bib that meant they weren't they weren't doing contacts so i think we're you know in terms of our understanding of 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 how best to support these guys from a physical preparation point of view as well i think we're we're light years ahead of where we were. I don't think I went to the gym till I was about 18 years old, if I'm brutally honest. Um, well, and if I, did, I, I didn't know what I was doing in there anyway. Yeah, me neither. Just bench press. Uh, and <laughs> these um, and, and, and these kids, are, and I'm not saying that they're in the gym. There's some, you know, lots of stuff around movement and physical literacy and, you know, body weight and that type of stuff that, yeah, look, we've clearly got a good understanding of that and, and the fact that players can transition in, and once again they'll be they'll be managed. So Nick Aziki won't play every week. Marcus Smith won't play every week in the Premiership mm. because their clubs are thinking long term for these players. So they'll do the right thing. I mean, what I think about Marcus is actually one of the things I think is most remarkable about what he's been doing is that, albeit he's been protected very well, but he's physically stood up to what's coming. You know, he's taken the odd bang, mm. but he's playing against people who are much 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 more physically developed than him and and dealing with it perfectly um part of that's his intelligence i suspect and his ability to move the ball away and his feet away but it, it really strikes me as impressive yes possibly the reason why he's he, he has good awareness and he's able to avoid so damian mckenzie would be a classic he's you know a milner scudder both of them are about 80 kilos um they're both pretty good at avoiding people they find different solutions to 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 getting the ball back. So Milner Scudder would would look for intercepts. He'd probably rather intercept than have to tackle, you know, a a really really big guy. Um, however, he would have different solutions to that. And it might not be that it's what people are currently calling tackle technique. It might be that he's actually using the skill of you know ripping the ball off someone. I've seen him do that a few times. Mackenzie often goes high on people and pulls them down. So, yeah, I, I, I often think that their size is the reason that they are so skillful. Yeah, I think that's absolutely bang on the money. Um, yeah, you look at most of the most skillful guys in the world, and they they tend to be the little ones. Um, you know, look at George Ford; he's a tiny guy, but everyone wants to play outside him, don't they? It's it's really cool stuff, and it, it gives yeah, hope to the to the small uh, ones amongst us. Yeah, well, they definitely weren't carrying the ball in, in one hand and running over people at a young age. They were even at that age, you know, just avoiding people, and they were often then picked to be a nine or a ten because nine and tens are, are often quite small, um, and so they got lots of touches on the ball, lots of opportunities to get better, um, especially if you can kick goals as well. Everyone wants a goal kicker in their team. So, yeah, you end up with lots of advantages. I would, my advice would be to tell everyone you're a fly-off for as long as possible. Yeah, so, right, let's move on to a few more um, different bits and bobs. Um, we've mentioned the Magic Academy a couple of times. Tell us a bit about what that's about. Yeah, so we set up a um, sharing site for coaches, really, probably about nine, ten months ago, with the view that, um, yeah, if... if 
people were in our environment or something, we could point them towards somewhere where we might be able to put some resources on or they could share some ideas. It's kind of escalated. It's got out of control. Um, it's got about 1,400 members at the moment. Um, lots of really exciting stuff going on there. Uh, I'm learning loads off it. Um, hopefully, I'm not posting too much stuff. Um, I'm just trying to – I was just looking at it then because – just exciting that we have. So who was it posted the other day? One of the guys who's he's the attack backs and attack coach at um, at Leon, who are top of the top fourteen, and he's posting on there going, uh, Kendrick Lynn, just saying, you know, uh, loving the content, loving the passion on this site. Um, he's learning lots of stuff from it, and I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. So on there, you know, Kendrick is sharing his ideas with guys that are coaching on a Sunday morning, guys are in schools, guys are in academies. And yeah, I, I just think it's a really um, positive um, sharing community. Yeah, there's not it's, too it's, much. it's awesome to get buy-in from the top end and the grassroots end. It's really cool. Yeah, we got, you know, so uh, uh, Tab Eye's on there. So Tab Eye Matson, who was a bath, he's posted a couple of things on there. Um, Eddie's on there and there's, you know, he, he wouldn't, necessarily post but he's uh i definitely know that he's looked at it um yeah we've yeah it's it's i get emails kind of from all over the world really from lots of other sports asking about it so we had a guy on who's been posting a bit called craig gunn who's over in uh, australia who's um i think he's aussie rules um or, or nrl and so he's uh he's posted some pretty cool stuff on there as well yeah it's just a just a sharing site for coaches i mean it probably um, satisfies a couple of things. One is coaching can feel quite lonely. So um, we've we've created this team of 1,400 coaches. So that's quite nice. Uh, the other thing, and, and people talk about that a lot. So when I say, look, what impact has it had on you? They will say, well, I probably thought I was quite alone in doing this, but actually it's cool to know that there's lots of people all over all over the place doing it. I like the fact that it's cross sports, <clears throat> so it's not just rugby. So <clears throat> we can talk about the principles of coaching and learning rather than just in a rugby context. Um, yeah, and it's and it's led to lots of exciting things. People have gone into other people's environments and learned off them. People have formed some really <clears throat> useful connections, and yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's 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 been it's been better than I thought it was going to be. Put it that way. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, and kind of thinking about those, all those different coaches. What, what coaches would you say are your sort of biggest coaching influences, perhaps from before or even right now? Um, well, I'm still definitely learning from lots of coaches that I observe now. So um, I talk a lot about Tony Rogers. I think at Cambridge was the, probably the best <clears throat> environment I ever played in. Um, he was. Just thinking about the peg of the golf ball, and we're going to go and play drinking games and have fun, and and we coached ourselves. Uh, we had some amazing memories. Um, we were well connected. We basically ran the team. It's the captain runs the team at Cambridge, so the players are essentially in charge. So um, that definitely helps. Um, yeah, lots of I observe lots of coaches that are doing some great stuff now. So you know, to spoke about the Nick Boy thing, I would. I would spend time with Nick and learn off him in the same way I would, you know, go and watch John Mallett in action as a as a coach and as a housemaster and think, oh, I can definitely take some stuff from there as well. And Peter Peter Short, 
and 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 how he is with with kids and how he's influencing coaches in his school and think yeah okay I can so I guess we're you know I'm I'm still being influenced a lot by by other coaches. Um, Kevin Bowring was a big part. Rick Shuttleworth had big impact for me. Keith Lyons, Gordon Lord, who's just come in as um, head of coaching from the ECB, brings real kind of insights and wisdom and is probably good at um, holding the mirror up to me around some of my biases, um, which is which is exactly what I need. Um, so just to kind of wrap up, um, a couple of questions that we ask everyone that comes on. Your, what is your favourite sports book and your favourite sports film? I wish I'd thought about this. Um, my favourite sports book, I'm not sure it is, a, yeah, I'm not sure any of my books are sports books. I like Species, I think, uh, sorry, Sapiens. I think Sapiens is a great book. I would recommend it. It's about the history of, uh, of humans. So I, I'm counting it as a sports book while I try and think of a sports book that, seems, I, seems that I've read recently. Um, I'm not sure I read that many sports books, if I'm honest. I tend to read yeah, fairly random stuff like that. Uh, so Sapiens would probably be my favourite book. I'm sure I'm forgetting we'll another that. We'll book. Um, and what was the other one, my favourite sports movie? Um, I don't have time to watch movies, so that doesn't help <laughs> either. Um, <laughs> is, it, is Dumb and Dumber a sports movie? No. Yeah, it will uh, count. Yeah, Dumb and would be my favourite movie. Embraces your philosophy perfectly, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the um, yeah the, the dinner jackets probably bring to life cards. <laughs> no, that's awesome stuff. Um, all right, Russell, we'll wrap up there. That's um, really, really good stuff. I think our listeners are going to really appreciate that. And we certainly appreciate your time. Cool. What's your, what's your favourite uh, sports book and sports movie, Angus? My favourite sports book, I think, is Bounce. Have you heard of it? Yeah, yeah Matthew Syed. Yeah, purely because it really made me buy into the principles of practice, where I'd probably been quite lazy on it before. Yeah. Um, so I, I quite like that. And then sports films, um, Moneyball. Love Moneyball. Okay. I haven't seen Moneyball, but I probably should watch it. It's it's worth a watch. Um, it makes you think about how many other sports might be getting the way they work wrong. Yeah, Happy Gilmore. That would be another one that I quite enjoy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. No, you can definitely definitely include Happy Gilmore for sure. Yeah. No. Nice, cool. Well, look, thanks so much for chatting, Angus. It was exciting. No, cheers for coming on. It's cool. Really good to hear that stuff. All right, cheers for that, mate. Cheers, dude. Bye. Cheers. Bye. That was Russell Earnshaw, the England under-18 coach. Absolutely awesome stuff from him. Uh, I'm sure you'll agree. Really fascinating to hear his take on the game. Um, sort of coach you could talk to for hours and you feel like you're always you're always getting something more, um, which is presumably why he's a man in such high demand. Um, just wanted to have a quick look ahead at what's coming over the next few weeks uh, before, we, before we sign off for this podcast. Um, we've got Champions Trophy coming up again. That kicks off next Wednesday again. 8th of November is the kind of key date. Uh, same with the School's Cup. And we're actually going to be moving to the final of the Champions Trophy on the 6th of December. So not long left in that competition. Uh, there's also some massive, massive school fixtures, but one that particularly excites us, Wellington College v Blackrock College. 
who are Brian O'Driscoll's old school from Ireland, um, based in Dublin. Uh, one of the best, most famous rugby schools in the country against one of the best and most famous rugby schools in Ireland. So it's it's going to be fascinating. We've seen Irish schools put on some really impressive performances. St Michael's beating Kirkham Grammar in half term. Kings Macclesfield going down to another Irish school. Irish schools rugby is really, really strong. So seeing how that game goes is going to be absolutely fascinating. And in general, it looks like the fixture list for a lot of schools is, is a bit tougher this half term. So I think we're really going to see who the top schools are, who the, who the schools that have made real progress are. It's going to be really interesting. Um, from our point of view, we're going to be doing a few more podcasts as well. You know, I think it's great to kick off this latest batch of podcasts with Russell, but we're going to now move in and hopefully capture some guys that are coaching in schools. Uh, if we get lucky, we're going to try and get hold of a couple of players as well and interesting people from around and about the game. So hopefully an exciting few weeks ahead as we we build towards that Christmas break. Um, hope you've all enjoyed that podcast uh, and particularly the chat with Russell. I, I certainly found it fascinating and I, I've learned a lot. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, it's at 15RugbyXV on Twitter. Same thing on Instagram, on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash 15Rugby. Uh, you can email us promotions at 15rugby.com um, or if you just want to have a check out the website www.15rugby.com uh, if you want to hit me personally you can hit me on at Angus Savage XV and uh, yeah just get in touch with any questions you might have for future podcasts anything you want to talk about we're always we're always game to hear it before we go though just a quick message about our friends at the independent school lambs the 2017 2018 nominations for their under 18s are now open so school coaches school directors of rugby uh, you need to email the lambs national director alex laybourne uh, with your nominations uh, that's anyone that's not playing representative rugby right now in your under 18s that you think uh, plays in that kind of fast and free manner that the lambs require uh, and enjoy playing. Actually, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about at Russell, really, they, they really embody a lot of what he does. Um, so you need to email alex.laybourne, that's L-A-Y-B-O-U-R-N-E, at lambsrugby.org. Uh, send your nominations to him. There'll be a trial process, and then eventually a national squad will be going on tour later in the year and playing a few games here in England as well. Uh, it's really awesome stuff. We're really big supporters of them. Love what they do. Uh, that's it for this episode of the 15 Rugby Podcast. Uh, look forward to hearing from you next time. Bye-bye.